Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyendo los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com. Whether you're buying a new car, a used car, or refinancing your current car, FedChoice Federal Credit Union could help save you money. FedChoice makes buying a car so easy that you can do everything right from your smartphone or on a computer. Become a member today and you can take advantage of their great rates and financing options. Find out more at FedChoice.org. That's FedChoice.org. Membership open to federal employees including contractors and their families. FedChoice Federal Credit Union insured by NCUA. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you. This time on the Hill, we are joined by our guest, A. Scott Bolden, is a Democrat and a partner at the Reed Smith Law Firm here in Washington, D.C., uh, and he is a, a well-known fixture here in the nation's capital in, in, in legal uh, circles uh, for a good number of years now. Uh, Scott, we appreciate you uh, joining us Thank here. you for having me. Glad uh, to be here. I wanted to have you in to kind of talk about where we are right now with, with Robert Mueller. We were expecting on Wednesday that he was going to appear up at the uh, House of Representatives uh, Judiciary Committee for testimony. We now know that that's been postponed. Um, what were you expecting from Robert Mueller's testimony? Because it seems like the, the Democrats really want to get him onto the record to dispute what William Barr has said about his report. Well, I think they want to get him on TV as well because the majority of Americans, even those that support this administration, uh, haven't read the uh, Mueller report. Mm -hmm. It's about 400 pages plus, and uh, it's a difficult read if you're not a lawyer or you don't have a political interest. So one, I think they want him to talk about that report because they, they want America to hear it and listen to it. Secondly, uh, they want to cross-examine, if you will, or direct exam Robert Mueller in connection to those 10 instances where he believed, or at least he reports, that, that arguably the investigation could have been stymied and these obstruction of justice charges that were never brought. Remember, Robert Mueller said he wasn't going to clear the president, nor was he going to charge the president, because as, by being appointed by DOJ, uh, their policy is that a sitting president cannot be charged or indicted. Well, that's never been tested in a court, first of all. That's just mm -hmm. a policy, so the Supreme Court hasn't ruled on that. But secondly, uh, even uh, Barr, A.G. Barr, has indicated that, that Robert Mueller and his team could have found that crimes were committed, but they would not have been charged. They, they, they could not be charged under the DOJ policy. Explain that f for a moment, because you know, I'm thinking back to 1974, almost coming up on the anniversary here right now. Mm -hmm. Gerald Ford takes over as president of the United States. And one of the things he says in the East Room that day, just after taking the oath of office, was that we are a nation of laws, mm -hmm. not of men. Why can't a sitting president be charged? Well, I happen to believe that a, a sitting president could be charged because it's never been tested. We have Supreme Court decisions that says no one is above the law, including the president. Mm -hmm. The president can be subpoenaed. Now, all of those, those, those issues can be challenged in the Supreme Court, but the law of the land is unsettled in this regard. 
we follow the DOJ policy because after the Office of Legal Counsel found uh, in the 70s and 80s that you could not be you could not charge a sitting president for whatever reason, mm-hmm. Supreme Court has said, but no one's above the law. So if uh, so if the president commits murder, if you will, God forbid, mm-hmm. on Pennsylvania Avenue. Are you arguing, and would the DOJ policy say he couldn't be charged with murder if he did it in front of, let's say, 10,000 people? So it's inconsistent. It's illogical. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But for now, and for Mueller's mm-hmm. sake, Mueller said, because I work for DOJ and I'm accountable to DOJ, then I've got to stand and live by that policy. Look for the Democrats to say, that's fine. You can live by that policy. But tell me what you think. Tell me your opinion. Now, remember, the Republicans, too, want to talk to Mueller. Because the Republicans want to know about the two FBI agents uh, who were romantically involved, and they want to know that, the, and those individuals were fired, and they want to know whether the politics of that relationship, both of them were Democrats, whether the politics of those relationships politically tainted the investigation. And so both the Dems and the Republicans, the Republicans want this to blow up in the face of the Democrats with these questions about ethics and possible conflicts with Robert Mueller. Um, uh, there's also a Georgi uh, Skitlatsi uh, issue who appears in the footnote of uh, the Mueller report, and the Republicans are going to know about that, too. I happen to represent Georgie, and we, we wrote letters to the uh, AG about that footnote about the tapes of the women doing illicit things and possibly uh, Trump being present. It was the basis for the original dossier that, uh, that, that has been publicly scrutinized. And still, dossier is going to be another thing the Republicans exactly. after at this point. Uh, talk to me about the level of standard of proof that needs to be met here. Mm-hmm. Because these are two different arenas. Department of Justice, legal system, and Congress. Uh, Congress is not the courts. Congress right. is a political body. Does the standard and the burden of proof that exists in the legal world exist in the political world? Not at this juncture. Uh, this is all politics and PR right now and the optics and, and, and informing the public uh, in regard to this investigation and what Mueller found out. Uh, the public and the Dems and really Republicans, too, want to hear from him. Uh, so there is no standard right now. Um, and, and so you've got to keep in mind that 80 members on the mm-hmm. Democratic side have called for the impeachment proceedings of the president. And so uh, the public doesn't seem to be convinced of that yet. The Republicans want to cry collusion and conspiracy. And I don't hear the Democrats crying that at all. Mm-hmm. I hear them accepting that solution or that conclusion in the report, but they are dissatisfied with the obstruction of justice. It's not hard to obstruct justice, by the way. It's one of the few federal uh, laws in the criminal code that says you have to, if you even attempt to stymie the investigation or to interrupt it or to dissuade it in some way, shape, or form, you've committed a crime. It's not a really high bar. And let's be clear about what obstruction is, too, because some of the People on uh, on the president's side have said, well, it's the president's right to defend himself or the president's right to fight back or to. But it's uh, not uh, the president's so, right. Uh, explain to folks what mm-hmm. the, what's the difference between legal defense and obstruction of justice. Uh, uh, there's a big difference. The president may have the right to hire and fire James Comey. He may have the right to complain about the investigation. He may even have the right to defend himself with people who are even going before uh, the grand jury. But he does not have a right to do any of that with corruptible intent. 
and the window into corruptible intent is the totality of the circumstances, but you also look at his answers to the questions that were posed to him, his reluctance to, to do a, a live interview under oath, uh, but more importantly, his own words in regard to his, uh, his public uh, statements about Comey. He fired Comey because he wanted to end the FBI investigation or this investigation into uh, his, his campaign and possible collusion. He then told the Russians that in the White House East Room or whatever room it was. And so th to, to charge obstruction of justice, you, you have to have corruptible intent. And the only way to really get your hands around corruptible intent is to interview people around the president and they get a, do a full interview with the president. That full interview never took place. And again, this is a political mm -hmm. setting here. So the Democrats are trying to finally thread a, a political process whereby the public and others believe that this president uh, has done some illegal things and should be removed from office. You know, a lot of times when I've been covering trials or I've been in a courtroom and it gets to the point where the case is about to go to the jury. And if that defendant has not testified, the judge will turn to the jury and mm -hmm. instruct them that they should not read into anything. Right. One way the or defendant another. Has, has an, defendant has, has no right, right to, to not to, has a right to test, not to testify. And um, so the president does not testify or does not um, interview with Robert Mueller in his investigation. There's a line in uh, Bob Woodward's book, Fear, the very, very end of the book, where John Dowd, the president's attorney, is discussing the possibility of President Trump testifying. And the president asks Dowd in one way or another why Dowd does not want him to testify. <laughs> and Dowd, according to Woodward, responds, because you are a blanking liar. <laughs> and I cleaned up the word blanking right. there. Right. But as a defense attorney yourself... Um, we know that under our legal system, you should not read one way or another into somebody testifying or not testifying because that is their right. But what does that tell you uh, when the president of the United States is facing these types of allegations and they decide not to testify? Well, they've couched it in a political process. They answered questions, I believe, on paper. They, they yeah. did. Yeah. But they couched this in a political process, and then they attacked it politically and tried to undermine the credibility. John Dowd, who is a very fine, longtime white-collar criminal defense lawyer who is well-respected in and outside of the bar, has handled a number of high-profile matters, um, uh, has to zealously represent his client, right? And to do so in those private moments, in giving advice and counsel, uh, with attorney-client privileged communications, uh, you've got there's a moment with every high-profile defendant where you have that discussion, where where you're not couching it, you're not uh, softballing it or self-peddling it. You're just it. talking flat out, you're plain going, talk. I call it going raw with my clients. Going raw. Going raw. Yeah. Let's let's you and I go yeah. mano mano. Well, because um, you need to know that as the attorney, because you need to know what you're getting. I need into. to know the truth, yeah. Yeah. right? And um, clients. Uh, don't always tell their lawyers the truth no matter how much they're paying them. Mm. This is reality, right? And we have to, as defense lawyers, have to make assessments of our own clients. Am I ready to put a client uh, before the press or a one-on-one -on -one, uh, interview? Am I ready to put my client uh, before the U.S. attorney for an interview for disclosures to help my case or hurt my case uh, or may hurt my case? Is my client ready? Have I prepped him zealously enough where he's disciplined enough and I know that he's going to tell the truth because his words and his testimony may hurt him and hurt our case? So every, given everything you just said, mm -hmm. 
John Dowd did President Trump, uh, did, did President Trump a, a big favor by not exactly him to go. exactly, but he was doing his job, yeah. if you will, because if you honestly look at a client of yours and they want to testify for PR or political purposes, but you know they're not ready, and you don't believe that they're telling the truth. And you, you've got you to make a decision as a defense lawyer. If I put him in front of the U.S. attorney or the attorney general or the special prosecutor, is he going to tell the truth or not? Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you. John Dow concluded that he was incapable of telling the truth. If that passage is correct, mm-hmm. he was incapable of telling the truth. I, as a defense attorney, and the thousands of others out here who do mm-hmm. this work, have had to make the same determination. Sometimes it gets us fired. <laughs> And John Dowd stepped down because of his brute honesty, but he is a fine white-collar criminal defense lawyer. And you know what? When he stepped down or was forced out or whatever, I smiled and said he was doing his job. And sometimes that costs us, our our, our clients. I want to talk to you about another uh, investigation that's going on in the nation's capital right now. There is a uh, a longtime veteran D.C. councilman by the name of Jack Evans, uh, who currently is uh, under investigation by federal authorities, the Allegations, in a nutshell, are that Evans was using his public position for personal gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in a series of emails, he was recruiting job offers for himself uh, based upon his connections to D.C. government and his position on the D.C. Metro subway board. Mm-hmm. And that he had also had some business relationships with uh, various companies, some mm-hmm. advertising companies and some parking companies. And some that were paying him and, some that were and paying. bidding on work. That he was going to have a make a decision on or a vote on. So we've had raids at his house. We've had members of the council subpoenaed. Uh, the last couple of days, we've had some of these uh, Metro subway officials subpoenaed a, a, as well, too. Um, when a public official faces these types uh, of investigations, does the investigators know where they're going with this when they start? Or is this a fact-finding mission on their part? Do they they know what they're looking for when they raid somebody's house? Well, as a former prosecutor from New York, uh, there were two different questions there. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I I, I get a subpoena or when I get a search warrant signed off by a judge based on an affidavit from someone with either personal knowledge or personal observations, then, yeah, I know what I'm looking for. It may be broad-based, but I know what I'm looking for. And the only reason that I'm executing a raid or a search warrant is two things. Either either the target of my investigation has not been cooperative, which may or may not be true in this case, I don't know, or secondly, that I believe that if I announce or if I share that this is the information I, I'm, I'm looking for, that I, I, I believe in some way, shape, or form that that information, those documents, that evidence may no longer be available vis-a-vis it may dissipate, it may, be, it, it, it may not be there when I go to find it, right? Don't know in this case, but those are usually the two reasons. Um, uh, secondly, uh, the other thing that uh, high-profile investigations with politicians and other individuals you struggle with as a, as a target of that investigation is the media, the PR, mm-hmm. the political optics, Right. And how long can I either hold on or stay in this public position until uh, decisions are going to start being made for me as opposed to me making the decisions? And then when I make decisions about my political life, my PR life, my personal life, um, am I making smart decisions? You don't want to make any bad decisions that exacerbate what's going on around you. Well, let me give you an example of what might have been a bad decision. Mm -hmm. The 
Metro board did an ethics investigation of Jack Evans, uh, which they did not issue a report on, and they apparently did not vote on because they did not have a odd number of committee members in order to achieve a vote. Um, but upon the conclusion of this investigation, Evans, and I was there that day, told us in the media that the Metro board had not found any ethics investigations on his part, mm-hmm. and he repeated that. Mm-hmm. Turned out a day later, Fox 5, I did an interview with Clarence Crawford. It was on the ethics board. In uh-huh. fact, he said Evans did violate the Metro Code of Conduct. As a defense attorney, when your client goes out and says something, which turns out to be not truthful, not honest, Chairman Phil Mendelson said as much the other day to us. How much does that damage you in the public's eye as you're trying to make your case here? Well, they, because they, you, you've <laughs> you've basically robbed yourself of your own ability to speak honestly. Well, um, I'm not going to second guess his defense counsel, Mark Tui, a friend of mine, as well as someone who uh, I used to practice law with several years Mark's ago. Been around, a he lot had, of people know Mark. Absolutely. Mark's been around a long time. He certainly has. And but Mark wasn't, fine. Mark wasn't there when Evan said these No, things. not at all. And it's tough yeah. representing politicians because yeah. they're politically thinking forward and PR thinking forward, and they're thinking about re-election, and that may not always line up with what your criminal defense strategy is, mm-hmm. and both have to bend, if you will. Certainly it doesn't go well. It doesn't uh, run well in regard to your credibility with the public. One of the reasons I've, if you've got to back down yeah. or reverse yourself on that. One of the reasons I've cautioned people not to ju- rush to judgment, particularly on this story, is because of the fact that we did have an investigation that went on for nearly the entirety of former Mayor Vincent Gray's term, which ultimately ended in no charges. Yeah. Against it, lots of embarrassment along the way. Lots may have of, cost him his mayor. Exactly. And, and that is by... And that is no small loss or measure for someone who has dedicated his life to public service. Uh, and that's the danger of these ongoing investigations. Here's the deal. You know, One thing I will say about Vincent mm-hmm. Gray, though, when, when, when Mayor Gray faced these questions, mm-hmm. he consistently um, stated throughout that he never did anything wrong. And his innocence. And, 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 was innocent. and that's a broad yeah. response a very safe response without getting into any detail. Because when you start talking about details of investigations as the target of an investigation, your public words, you're stuck with them, right? And once you're stuck with them, you better be committed, but they better be accurate and truthful, which is why very often criminal defense lawyers will speak for their clients and ask their clients not to speak at all mm-hmm. until we get further into the investigation or until we have really something to talk about. Here, that did not occur for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and so you saw some uh, serious backtracking in regard to the one ethics invi- in violation, but there were other allegations that the committee could not reach a conclusion on but these are factual assertions that could prove to be just as embarrassing. But the one thing that uh, I want our listening all your listen, our collective listening yeah. audience to really understand it's here. Through your audience is, too right now. Right, for, for, <laughs> for, the, for the next 10, 15 yeah, yeah. minutes, is that uh, ethics violations may not necessarily be criminal. Uh, criminal violations certainly are ethical violations. Mm-hmm. And ethical and criminal violations um, uh, could be one and the same. We just have to see. You don't impanel grand juries to find that 
nothing was done wrong. You've got enough information where you think something was done wrong, and then you want the grand jury, you want to put it before the grand jury, and then you want the grand jury to vote on it. You've been around D.C. a long time, and you know we mentioned the investigation that former Mayor Gray faced. Ultimately, uh, no, no charges were brought against Mayor Gray. But it's not too far into recent memory where we do have several D.C. council members who not only faced uh, criminal charges, but did time in jail. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Thinking about Michael Brown, thinking mm-hmm. about Kwame Brown. Harry uh, Thomas Harry Jr. Thomas Jr. Mm-hmm. I was there the day his motorcycle got taken away from mm-hmm. his house. What do you think is the problem here? Is there a systemic problem in the way the council is made up, the way they operate? Uh, you know, cards on the table here. I'm from New Jersey, so <laughs> I've seen a share of this kind I'm of... I'm from act- Chicago. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, 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 will, uh, I, will, I will see to your uh, your Chicago knowledge of this more than my New Jersey knowledge of this. But it, it, it does seem like in close quarters here, if you were there on the council and you had seen these three individuals fall as far as they did right, and lose everything... Yeah that that might inform you as to how you were to to proceed. Is there something about the way we do business here in our local government that, that lends itself to it or, or tempting? Well, there are a lot of public officials who don't get caught up yeah. in corruption charges or bribery charges or don't sell their office uh, for private gain. Marion Barry is a former client of mine. I represent his estate currently, right? Covered some of your... Uh, Absolutely. And Marion once told me, he said, the reason he never took money was, ethically, he wasn't built that way, but he said, public officials who try to get rich in public life never get rich, they get indicted, right? He never wanted to be indicted for that because he was a man of the people. He was a person of the people. Uh, And I think that it's very individual. The longer you're in office, uh, the more powerful you are real or perceived to be, and you have powerful friends, and you are friends with wealthy people, right, who 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 need things from you, who, who have a political interest, either business interest or otherwise, and you have a vote, and the people are behind you. And the longer you're in office, very oftentimes, or not, depending on the individual, you get power and money confused. Power is political power, and a vote, and money is money. When that gets murky, when you begin to mix those two, and you know money and politics go hand in hand at the intersection of business, politics, and money, right? But these are clearly defined lanes, right? If I'm a council member or a mayor, I got a vote. That's all I got. I don't have any money. I'm on a public salary, right? Mm -hmm. But after a while, when you're called honorable every day, and you're introduced at various social settings as honorable, whether you realize it or not, that works on your psyche. You begin to believe that you're honorable, mm-hmm. and you believe to be, you begin to believe that when you are helping the public and enriching the public and their communities and even business people, right, you start to think about what's next for you, and is the payoff after my public life uh, mm-hmm. to make money and to go into the private sector? And sometimes you jump the gun. And sometimes you think it's okay if I set this up the right way and it's legal and I've been here 10, 20 years, then, you know, I can make a little money while doing this and it's okay. 
And it's never okay if you don't have the clearance from counsel or ethics counsel. I got to tell you, I miss Marion Barrett. And I'm not saying <laughs> that in a way that, oh, he was a good story to mm-hmm. cover. He was a fascinating man to talk to. And, you know, a lot of people who don't live in Washington, D.C. Very much so. Like to say things that, mm-hmm. about Marion Barry, mm-hmm. and I don't think if you if you've never met him and you've never talked to him, I think he would be one of the first people to say that when he when he did face trouble, a lot of it was his personal failings. Yeah, personal mm-hmm. failings. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fact that he still commands uh, the the gravity and the respect of people. Uh, especially in Ward Eight, mm-hmm. to this day, oh, years all after over the city, death, yeah, all maybe over not the city. everyone, but certainly a segment of the population in every ward still loves and respects him and for what he did as an elected official. And because of those personal feelings, the way he was able to pull himself back up again, mm-hmm. personally, I, I think in that way, it entrenched him with people even more. Because mm-hmm. who in life mm-hmm. has not? faced personal failings exactly and had to or in our families or in our families Mm -hmm. and put themselves back together stand up and walk forward let me tell you one of my quick favorite marion berry stories i just told you one there's another one too uh when marion got out probably and when he was running for office he won and then he continued to try to build support uh, in some of the toughest areas of the city that were anti-Marion Barry, primarily in War Three yeah. and War Two, and I was with him one evening, uh, and I watched his presentation at this community meeting, and uh, he would say this publicly later, uh, while he took all the abuse he could from the audience, right, and then he talked about his personal failures. He says, "My life is no different than yours. Yeah. Uh, you've got people in your family." who have gone to jail, who have been drug addicted, who have had alcohol problems, women problems. He says, the only difference between me and you is that I've lived mine out publicly, yeah. right? He would later on say that quite a bit to the press. And so uh, his presentation that night where he said, my life is no different than yours, and you should, you can judge me all you want, but you judge, judge your family and judge yourself uh, in connection with me when you judge me as well. Right. I'm not proud of what I've done. Mm-hmm. I failed. But these are my personal failings. And one of the things that I often remark about him and, and you know, I covered, you know, I, I, I do make a point when I talk about Marion Barry to make people understand that I covered the end of mm-hmm. Marion Barry's term in politics, not you know, mm-hmm. the 70s and, and the 80s. But I always did remark about the fact at how a lot of times you'll meet a politician. And they're one way on camera and they're one way when they're talking to the reporter. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the cameras turn off, or you know, the notebooks go away, they become a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Right. My experience, that was not Marion Barry. The Marion Barry people saw on camera was the Marion Barry that I saw once the cameras went off. Right. That he was probably one of the most consistent people I've ever met mm-hmm. in politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a very humble servant. And, and when I say that, I mean uh, his personality was consistent. Uh, he, he would allow you in to his heart and mind in talking to the people. There was something earnest about him, something vulnerable. And in many respects, this, his political power and the power of his personality came through his authenticity and his vulnerability. Think about what I'm saying. Um, 
Sure, he was a politician. Sure, he wanted to uplift, economic uplift for his community, the least, the lost, the left out. But that was who he was. Mm-hmm. And what, what made him more powerful than other politicians, that it, this wasn't rhetoric to him, uh, but it was his vulnerability, mm-hmm. his authenticity. And he showed you that there was power in that because the people that voted for him, whether they got a first job from him or not, or whether the developers, they helped him, he helped them build downtown Washington, he was always authentic with them. Mm-hmm. Whether he was fighting for black people or fighting for uh, Asians or even people that, that um, all of Washington, whether you were in the east of the river or otherwise. And he was who he was. And he showed you his vulnerabilities, and he made you still love him no matter what. Because we know we all have our own personal vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Who would want to live out those vulnerabilities in public life? Yeah. I would not. not Certainly you would not. not you report people. on it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Scott Bolden has been our guest today. He's a uh, partner at the Reed Smith Law Firm. And uh, it's been our pleasure to have you here on the Hill Podcast. Great being here. Time. Thank Thanks you for so having much. me. All right, we thank you as well for taking time out of your day to spend it with us. You've been listening to the On the Hill podcast coming from you from the Fox 5 studios in Washington, D.C. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. We thank you for joining us this time. We'll see you next time on the Hill. Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com.